My father, I can remember before I ever woke up, him leaving in the morning and waking me up as he was going out the door. And I can remember us eating dinner at about 8.30 at night because we didn't eat till after he came in. You know, it was just hard work, long hours. This is hard, a little hard to explain. But from the age of about, I think about 10, I had this compulsion. If you can imagine a 10-year-old having a compulsion for anything, that I wanted to be as successful as I pictured my father being. Uh, He was pretty well respected in our little town, and I wanted to be respected as much as he was. And this is a strange thing for a 10-year-old to be thinking, but I was thinking that. When you have a fine example and a fair amount of fire in the belly, even at 10, it can be possible to chart a course for success. Working long hours is not that bad if you enjoy what you're doing. And I saw all these guys that had a lot of money. And, of course, I was curious about how it came from. And some of them started from scratch. I don't feel real smart. I don't feel like I look like a movie star. We've been very... We've been very fortunate. I'll be 80 years old this year, and if my body won't let me down, I'll keep working. My name is James W. Wesley Ayers. Uh, There's two things in life that I really enjoy. Working and making money and being able to give money away in a way that you can see it helps other people I mean, I get a warm feeling with that. From the Chase Studio at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, this is Circle Back, where we trace the life cycle of new business from bright idea to big payoff. I'm your host, Clark Buckner. I was born in Parsons, Tennessee, a little town, about 2,500 people. One rather uh, unusual thing, my parents were older than most parents are. My dad was a bachelor until he was 35. My mother was a widow at 25, and her husband died at an early age, And uh, at the time when he passed away, very unexpectedly, she was expecting my brother. And Bill was born eight years before me. I was born in 1943. My dad was in the sawmill business. And the first three years they were married, they lived at the sawmill in a tent because the sawmills in those days moved around to the timber locations. And uh, my mother thought it would be fun. (laughs) 
After about three years, she'd had all the fun she wanted, and she got after him to build a house, which he did. He and his employees at the sawmill built it themselves. They were wonderful parents. Uh, I, I miss them terribly today. But uh, they taught me the fundamentals, the things that the children, in my opinion, ought to be taught. Honesty, hard work, generosity. And they also taught me the value of a good formal education. My mother and my dad, neither one of them had a college education. And because of that, my dad learned later that he was having to work with manual labor uh, to the point of using a mule and pulling logs up steep hills in Perry County, Wayne County, Decatur County. My father had three living siblings, and my mother had two sisters, and all of those siblings had college educations. They both had a great appreciation for a formal education because they saw in their family what it would do for you. The modest country schools in Parsons led Jim to the big city of Memphis with his parents' expectations ringing in his ears. I went straight to uh, Memphis State University, now University of Memphis. That was an urban school. That was probably a bad choice for me because I was a, just a country kid. And uh, uh, I know when I would get up to talk, I'd be called on in class. I'd kind of get laughed at a little bit because of my, I think I had a more pronounced drawl than the people from the cities. But that's no big deal. The main thing I was interested in was getting out of school and really started making money. That's what I wanted. But unlike his dad, a bachelor till 35, Jim was soon to be a very young married man. My sophomore year of college, I got married. And everybody was predicting, please, He's not going to mount anything. And I heard that, and that just made me more determined because some of the people that were saying that were good friends of my mother. And she was totally against me getting married that young, and, and I heard her when I did, thinking back, but couldn't undo it at that point. And, of course, we got married, and, of course, we had a child soon after, and uh, my dad said, now, Jim, you're going to have to support your family. He was strong on me getting an education, but he was more strong on me being supportive of my family. 
So from my halfway through my sophomore year, I never got any more help from my family. Now, don't worry. Jim didn't drop out. He stayed in school and started working the plan he had devised at 10. Let me tell you one of the most satisfying days of my life was my first day that I went to work in Memphis, and I came home, and it was dark. I had gotten an office job, and the duplex we were renting had a kind of a little ramshackle garage as part of it. And I pulled in that garage, and I can still remember it very clearly. Now, this would have been 19... 62 or 63. I turned the keys off in the car and I just sat there. And first thing I did in my head, I mentally figured out how much money I'd made. It was about six, seven dollars. It's a dollar and a quarter an hour for half a day's work. And that was the most satisfying feeling I had ever experienced. And I knew at that point I was going to be on my own because I wanted to be on my own. I wanted to make my decisions. And I, it wasn't I was rebelling. I didn't have a rebellious bone in my body. But that felt so good. Coming up, with 24 hours in a day, Jim calculates how much he can possibly pack in to earn even more. Then I got to thinking, well, now, I'm not doing anything early in the morning before I go to school. I was going to school tomorrow and work in the afternoon. And what can I do to make money in the morning? I'm Sam Davidson, CEO of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. For over 13 years, we've been working hard at the EC to make Nashville the most entrepreneurial city in America. We do that by serving entrepreneurs no matter where they are in their journey, whether they're just starting out, they're looking to scale and accelerate, or they've exited and looking to give back to the community. We have a place for you, whether it's in our award-winning accelerator programs, our co-working space, or in our mentor and advisor network, we have the resources designed to grow this community so you can grow your business. Learn more at ec.co. In college, I was majoring in accounting. I started out in pre-dentistry, but I just, uh, that just wasn't for me. And I worked at Forest Hill Dairy and their office. It's about 20 hours a week. Then I got to thinking, well, now, I'm not doing anything early in the morning before I go to school. I was going to school in the morning, working in the afternoon. And what can I do to make money in the morning? And I thought, well, newspapers. Newspapers get delivered. Mostly at those days by little kids, <laughs> but... But there was some rough areas over there, one area called Orange Mound in Memphis, that they wanted older people to deliver the newspapers. 
and they had a route, 120 papers in Orange Mound. So I was I was on it, and a week or two later, I was working there. And you got to remember, with well, your newsboy, at least in those days, you work 365 days a year. You work Christmas Day, you work Thanksgiving Day. Ain't no paid vacation, no sick days. You just work every day. And for those 120 newspapers, during the week, they had to be on the porch of the customer by 6 o'clock in the morning. And I could do that in just a little over an hour. So I was up at 4, throwing papers at 5, finishing at 6, and uh, wasn't a problem. Made about $2.40 a day. Now, on Sunday, newspapers at that time cost 25 cents a piece, Sunday newspaper. And you still just paid uh, three cents to the Memphis Commercial Appeal. So I made good money on Sunday. Counted every bit of it, knew exactly what it was. And did that for, I don't know, a year or two. And then they called me and wanted to know if I would be interested in filling up newsstands every day. I said, well, I'm, I'm already working for you. Um, I don't know how I can do both. And they said, you, don't, you can do both. You can have the newspapers on the porch by 6 o'clock. And between 6 and 7, you fill up ever how many newsstands there were. So I had that, too. I was getting two jobs at uh, Memphis Commercial Appeal. And then I'd take my classes till around 11 or 12 o'clock, and then I'd go to Forest Hill Dairy. So I went ahead and finished in four years at University of Memphis. I really wasn't a very good student. I graduated, but just academically, just barely. And uh, I probably ought to be ashamed to tell this, there's never been a student graduate from the University of Memphis with a lower GPA than me, because I graduated with a 2.000. And ironically, you revisit it 50 years later, I was the first alumni to ever be awarded an honorary doctorate from that same university. And that was pretty meaningful to me because I was always a little bit embarrassed about what I was not able to accomplish in college. I, I, I would... I would normally want to be a four-point student, but I just didn't have it upstairs, and I know it. After graduation, Jim settled on just one job and went to work in Birmingham for Ortho Pharmaceuticals. Had a degree in accounting, but I could make more money selling than I could in accounting. And so that made that decision pretty easy. Worked there three years. In that period of time, my dad passed away, and I just figured it's time to come back home. 
tried to get a job locally in Parsons, Tennessee. There just wasn't anything. And so I uh, took a job in Dyersburg, Tennessee, with Sylvania Electric Products, making photo flash cubes for people that might remember what they were. I was a cost accountant for them. I was there about a year or so, and uh, spent a short term after that with a CPA firm in uh, Dyersburg. One Sunday, I was looking at the newspaper, flipped over to the want ads, and there was an advertisement for a, an accountant for a nursing home company. It was the 1960s, just as Medicare and Medicaid were being established, government health insurance for the elderly and people with low incomes. People who needed to use nursing homes would now be able to pay nursing homes. I talked to a fellow in Athens, Alabama that told me, this nursing home business is going to be big. Lo and behold, they called me said, come back, I want you to have a second interview. I went and interviewed with the president. They said, if you, we want to offer you a position with a company if you want to take it. And August 1, 1969, I went to work for Carrion's in Memphis. That was the big move. I kept the books for about 13 nursing homes. And no problem, pretty simple books. I had what we call bookkeepers in those days. I had a couple of bookkeepers working for me. And we did fine. We worked long hours. Actually, we worked really long hours. But that's all right. I enjoyed doing what I was doing. At the time, care inns were part of the Holiday Inn motel business born in Memphis and soon to take hold nationwide. Movie stars were investing in them, and people who knew how to make money without risking their own dollars. I learned the mean of a term that I'd never heard of, which was non-recourse loan. These guys in those days could build apartments, and just they'd borrow like 80 85% of appraised value before the apartments were ever built. And they could finance the whole thing and not sign on anything. And I learned that. I learned the term leverage, I, which is borrowing money. In essence, you get the bank to finance your project. So I learned a lot there. And sooner than he thought, he'd be putting some of that learning to practice. The majority owner was a volatile man who got mad and got rid of almost everyone. So you can imagine how Jim felt when he was called to the office. I figured, okay, here it is. That's my time. My time to go. And I walked. I remember walking by the front door, and my car was sitting right out front. And I was thinking, Jim, why you won't put yourself through this? Won't you just get in your car and go home, and you're fired, you know? But I went in there. His office was designed for intimidation. His desk was up on a platform. There's one place to sit in front of him, and that's a couch that sunk way down when you sat on it. 
he asked me kind of what I'd done before I came with the company, and I told him, and I told him I'd worked pretty well all through college. And he said, well, Jim, I don't have time to run this company. I'm going to make you president. he told me that it just took the air out of me I just couldn't say anything and I finally said Mr. Bond thank you for the confidence but Mr. Bond I can keep the books now but I don't know how to run a nursing home I said I'll do anything for you you know, I do my best, but you need to understand, I don't know how. And he said, well, find somebody. He ended up with a guy named Edgar Overstreet, 10 years older, already in the nursing home industry. And Edgar had money. I didn't have anything. And he was probably superior to me, but not in that job. And we got it, and we worked those nursing homes. And we went from a monthly loss, now this doesn't sound like much, of about $50,000 a month to a monthly income of about $50,000 a month. When a nursing home in Nashville defaulted on a HUD loan, Ayers convinced the government that he'd run it. Welcome to the management business. That went along to about 1976. 1976, I built the first nursing home in Parsons, Tennessee. I learned how to use that leverage, and I learned how to do that non-recourse. I learned that at carry-ins. So I had no money, but we managed to get that nursing home going. We had that nursing home full in less than 60 days. If that nursing home had failed, wouldn't be no American Health Centers. <laughs> but it did very well. Jim's next act begins with a phone call in 1984. It's so one of my buddies. Used to be my banker. He started doing consultant work. His name's Steve White from Parsons, Tennessee. Steve had gotten an offer he couldn't refuse. And it came to him based on where he grew up. He said, Jim, you know, I'm doing some work for Farmer State Bank in Scotts Hill, Tennessee. And I said, yeah, Steve, I think I knew about that. And he said, well, they called me tonight to go to the board meeting up there. And he said, I thought they were probably calling me up here to tell me they didn't need me anymore. But I went up there. Steve, we've decided to sell this bank. And before we put it on the market, and this is the way we do things in West Tennessee, we know you, we know your family, we know what y'all are made of. I want to offer it to you first. For 100% of the stock, we'll sell it to you for a million and a half dollars. And Steve called me and he said, Jim, I got 750, but I hadn't got a million and a half. 
you want to be my partner. Well, this little bank, my dad had taken me in this bank when I was five years old. And we talked probably for an hour. And I said, all right, Steve, if you'll put your money in it, I'll put mine in it. So the buddies from Parsons were in business. They bought Farmer's State Bank, moved it into a shiny new spot in Lexington, Tennessee, and you'll never guess what happened next at the open house. That day at open house, the fellow whose family owned and he operated First National Bank in Lexington came in about the end of the open house and he said, Jim, you want to buy my bike? It took about four or five months. But we bought his brick and mortar. We bought his loans. We bought his deposits. By the time we closed the deal, we were, I think, at $88 million. And my job was to sell the customers. I never knew really much about the back office part of banking. I was I felt like I was a pretty good loan underwriter, but there's a lot of it I didn't know. That's all right. That didn't bother me one bit. I always said, hey, I can hire somebody to do that stuff. And I could. The story ends in 2021, I guess. I decided at that point I was 77 years old or something. And I said, you know, that's, that's long enough. I was there 37 years. At that point, the bank was about, I think about 13, 14 billion, about 85 branches, close to 2,000 employees, very profitable. When I built that first nursing home in Parsons, Tennessee, my goal was to have five nursing homes. And we ended up owning 35 or 36, and we ran close to 100 different nursing homes. When I went in the banking business, I looked at that thing and I said, if we can get the assets to 200 million, I know I can make 1% on assets. That's $2 million a year. That's a million for Steve and a million for me. And that's pretty doggone good. And, of course, we did many times that. We got into several different businesses, had a total of six car dealerships. We make 20,000 pairs of shoes a day right now in South Georgia. Not many shoes made in the United States anymore. We uh, are in the insurance business. We put a pharmacy organization together to serve the nursing homes. And I don't know how many prescriptions a day they fill. In the thousands. It's why me, Lord. Why? Why 
have I been so fortunate? That's the big question in my life. Well, I got an education, and it made it possible for me to get in the position that I can make pretty good money. Some years make really good money. Jim and his wife, Janet, now give away more than half of what they make through the Ayers Foundation, dedicated to what his parents preached, education. Any student that graduates from high school with just average intelligence, we can get them through college, four years, with little or no debt and ready to get out and make a good living in this world. Anybody that's hearing this needs to know we've got the graduates, the college graduates down there that don't want to move to Nashville. They don't want to leave their hometown. And when I graduated from college, if I'd had a choice, my first choice would have been to move back home. But there just wasn't any jobs there. And we've been very blessed, and we understand that. We don't ever forget that. You've been listening to Circle Back. To subscribe, visit ec.co slash circleback and follow, rate, and review the show anywhere you get your podcasts. Circle Back is made possible by the generous support of the Beth and Randy Chase family. Also, thank you to our media partner, Nashville Post. Keep your pulse on all things Nashville business and more by subscribing to their newsletter at nashvillepost.com. A big thanks to our team on producing this episode with script writing by Demetria Kaladimos. I'm Clark Buckner, and we'll see you soon on another episode of Circle Back.